Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Um, it's interesting. This this webinar is called Recovery Roundtable, and we're we're talking about today. Um, recovery is one of the biggest topics in the fitness industry, and is a vital aspect of every training plan. With so much newfound focus on recovery, there are many new technologies and trends coming to light. And our wonderful panel of experts tonight, of which we welcome Dr. Mike, he's replacing uh, Ronnie Fulton, who unfortunately got the flu, which is terrible. Um, there, we're gonna talk about um, how to properly program recovery as well as different recovery methods to maximize training and then use those methods to grow your business. And I think that that's really interesting. I'm Sarah Cooperman. I'm the CEO of SCW. Um, I'm here with Carter Anderson, who's running our webinar this evening. And I've got these wonderful people. I've got Kelly Roberts. She was named IDEA International. Yeah, wave your hand because they're probably confusing you with time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, Kelly. Okay. Um, she was named IDEA International Fitness Instructor of the Year and SCW's Best Female Presenter as well. And she got a lifetime achievement from um, I always pronounce this wrong, Oboe Awards, and was inducted into the National Fitness Hall of Fame several years ago. She was also honored as the President uh, Presenter of the Year, as well as Inspiration Award for Empower Conventions. She's an ACE, she is ACSM certified. She holds certifications through ACE through everybody and she's one of the SCW faculty members she leads our personal training certification she's also in the middle of authoring um, a personal training certification for active agers for SCW she's a Schwinn senior master trainer and a RICA ambassador so we welcome Kelly um, we've got Brian Bettendorf with us he's got a master's degree in management and a master's degree in kinesiology. She's the head of education for Rumble Roller and a managing partner in Drake Global Strategies, a consulting firm which helps fitness and sporting goods companies develop their brand. So he's really a creator of new projects. He helps accelerate growth. Really kind of cool. He's been in the fitness industry for over 20 years and as a practitioner, operator, educator, um, he also, he sold a physical therapy and fitness company that he co-founded, um, and he spent time during the, his early years at TRX in a variety of product marketing, education, and business development roles. So we welcome Brian, and then we also have Dr. Mike with us, which it's really exciting to get to know him. He's been coming to conferences recently, but we found him during the pandemic. So we feel really lucky. There is always a silver lining, even with a pandemic, right? Um, he's a PhD. He's certified by every, everybody. He actually got his PhD with Dr. Len Kravitz, which is cool. And he currently teaches in the exercise science and sports performance program at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, he's spoken at over 40 events, um, including many for NSCA and other organizations. He's published in over two dozen peer-reviewed and non-peer research journals. He's written nine book chapters in the areas of, of sports nutrition and strength training and conditioning. And there I go. Now, finally, I can breathe. So we're really glad to have him 
on this panel. And um, I'm going to start, I'm starting with you, Kelly. How do you define recovery? Oh, oh, one quick thing. You guys, we have a small group here tonight. We've got about 30 people on, which is great, small for us. We have about almost of 148 or whatever, almost 150 registrants. So the cool thing is the people who show up, we want you to be able to type in your questions if you have any questions or suggestions. So do me a favor, type in your name and where you're from in the chat box. And all you do is go down to the center of the page. You all know what to do. You're gonna see that green chat box, go to the left of it and click on chat and please, uh, type it. Yep, there's Jerry from Boston. Thank you, Jerry. Um, uh, Bob Esquery is from Boca Raton. We've got Liz from Missouri, Pam from from Raleigh, North Carolina, Deborah from Florida, Maria from uh, Illinois. All these people. This is great. Oh, and Joshua Craddock, who's a wonderful presenter. He's here with us from Maryland. Joshua, I hope you present with us at DC Mania. That's going to be exciting. All right, guys. So. Um, Kelly, I'm hitting you up. How do you define recovery? Well, there's, there's a lot of different ways to define recovery. I think your ability to perform at what it is you perform at to a high level. Um, Bishop et al. in 2007 defines recovery as the ability to meet or exceed performance in a particular activity. So in other words, you've recovered enough to be able to perform at a high level or a higher level than where you were before. So your training, you have adapted and you have recovered enough to be able to perform at, a, at an expected level. And I think that's really cool because everybody, you know, I'm including myself, thinks of recovery as I'm going to stretch, I'm going to meditate, I'm gonna roll, I'm gonna, you know, it's it's got that connotation, but I think that that really, kind of nails it on the head. And Kelly, you brought up before we turn the camera on about some of the protocols you use to help yourself recover, especially in your cycling competitions. Yeah, I will. I mean, I do all the traditional things like foam rolling, stretching. I am absolutely possessive of my sleep. I am really, I, I am absolutely adamant about getting my at least eight hours of sleep a night. And um, I hydrate and I, I eat well. I make sure I, I, eat, I eat correctly. But um, I do, do some active recovery strategies like um, super easy bike rides. And, and it was interesting, Dr. Mike was talking about periodization. And, and um, I learned about active recovery through a, when I was working with a cycling coach in competition and I had a linear periodized program where each each mesocycle was focused on a specific area to build that type of fitness um, towards the macrocycle of the national championships. And every week I would do an easy ride. I, in, and the instructions from my coach were at an embarrassingly low speed ride high cadence on a flat on a flat course for an hour keeping your heart rate below 120 so my ego got in the way more than anything it was the hardest ride when i started doing it, it was the hardest ride i would do every week because i would get passed by people on frankenstein bikes 
with platform pedals wearing a camelback and I was on my you know 17 pound <laughs> carbon road bike <laughs> riding along and, and I'm probably um ahead of you now in my little Schwinn you would have been like, you absolutely like, would have been 1980s yeah yeah you would have been but I mean the interesting thing for me was I went from hit or miss getting on the podium to be consistently on the podium just I slowed down I added structured recovery into my program and I performed at a much higher level consistently so integrating recovery by integrating very, very cool and dr mike could you talk a little bit about the periodization that you that we had discussed yeah sure so i mean if you look at just the basic periodization protocols the, the traditional ones i mean there's there's many variations and methods even more now but um you look at um even from the early 2000s to the mid 2000s um you look at uh, um undulating or like non-linear periodization where you actually can integrate recovery within day and also within the week recovery. So for example, you know, Monday might be, um, you know, reps of like three to five, Wednesday might be like eight to 12, Friday might be like 12 to 15 the next week, and then you rotate those out. So you're addressing within day also, but within week recovery as well. And of course, before we started, we we're talking about how most people, when they talk about and think about recovery, they only think of like a one-dimensional perspective mm -hmm. in terms of like the actual training. You need to be thinking about recovery from a three-dimensional, you know, point of view. You have the basic, you know, definition with, which Kelly talked about, and, and I can even add on to that. It's basically like the process of growth and, and physiological adaptation. You're taking somebody from a fatigue state to a less fatigue state or no fatigue state while you're actually adapting in the process. So that by the time you do your subsequent training sessions, and even chronic adaptation, you're actually at a higher level above baseline than where you actually really started. So there's different forms of recovery. I know we're talking about that, but but yeah, that, that's essentially the essence of it. That's interesting. And and Brian, what are your thoughts on defining recovery? I think the challenge in defining it is that it's really hard to be objective and come up with a definition that my guess is everybody can agree with. Um, and that's not to say I'm disagreeing with anybody's point of view. I mean, it's I think about it as the time from when you complete an exercise session to when you begin the next one. But the kind of true objective measures around this are really difficult. So I think it, it, it as much comes down to kind of good quality programming and how the individual whom you're working with is feeling at that moment in time. Yeah, that's so interesting because, you know, as we do the, our, our conferences, we're always doing titles. And I think, Kelly, you mentioned that um, you're now doing work. You've been doing workshops since when? 2009, you said, for Schwinn on recovery. Was it 2009? Uh, 2000, I, I think I started 2018 for Schwinn doing recovery. Okay. And, and please describe that because I thought that that was really interesting. Well, I developed a, a recovery, a ride, a recovery ride, a program on recovery for Schwinn. And that was in 2018, and it was wildly unpopular. I could not drag people into the room. If it had been hit, it would have been like that. But recovery, you know, four years ago was, was a really hard sell because people weren't interested in it. There was just not a lot of interest. And, and you know, fast forward to today, I've seen a lot of momentum build around that. And now that session has become a really popular one. 
So not as not like hit. It doesn't sell out where a hit session would, but definitely there's more interest in recovery than there was four years ago. I'm seeing now. Yes, we see that at the conferences. People people go crazy about sessions on sleep, uh, sessions on cortisol re reduction, um, sessions on. Uh, uh, ways to address inflammation effectively. Um, and we see that people really want this. And, but I still think that people are thinking it's about foam rolling. It's about meditation. It's about breathing. Um, do you, you know, Brian, I see you kind of nodding there and obviously you're kind of obviously very involved with foam rolling because that's the company you sold, right? The, um, was it Rumble Roller? No, I was or just uh, partnering with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it it you know it is so much so much more popular. And if we're talking about growing our programs, you know, you we have to look at what the public wants. And what I always find it very interesting is that the fitness conventions that we manage are always between three to six months ahead of what's going to go on in the clubs because we're the ones dealing with the instructors and the trainers and they're going hmm i want to see what what's the newest trend what am i going to be working on and i see recovery getting huge so if you're looking to grow your programs and then this is some of the things you want to think about which is the recovery um do you do you see you know, you deal with a lot of businesses, Brian. What are you seeing, seeing as far as the trends go with recovery? Well, to your point, I mean, everybody's kind of jumping into this right now. I mean, I, I feel like, uh, you know, Therabody and Hyperice remind me of the, uh, you know, the arms wars of the of the 80s between the USA and Russia. Like, they both keep coming out with these uh, new products every six months, which is pretty cool. And you were talking about hydro massage and everybody's throwing that into their marketing language these days. So there's, there's definitely a lot more people getting involved in it, which is good. Yeah. I was talking to Paul, who is the CEO. I think he's actually also the, one of the creators of hydro massage today. And it's fascinating because he said that his sales are better in 2022 than they were in 2019. And I asked him, you know, what type of clubs are purchasing these these products? Because this is a big unit. This is over $10,000 that you're spending on a unit, but it can bring ancillary revenue to the facility. If, and what they found, the and, and again, I apologize for throwing this in, but I always feel this very strong affinity towards owners, managers, and directors of facilities because they have to come back or we as group fitness instructors and personal trainers won't have a place to go. So I look at the owners and, and managers and what they're doing is they're integrating these hydro massage big machines that undulate water and it can do different temperatures and it can do different speeds in different areas of the body. But instead of selling it, like I was thinking, what do you do? Do you sell it for like a, an hour massage for $45 or 90 or whatever? And um, Paul said, no, what, he, what they've been using it as is a way to elevate the membership. So instead of just getting a basic membership to the facility where you get to use the weights and you get some of the free group X sessions, you go for a premier membership that integrates 
three different 10 minute intervals, like over the week, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Monday, Thursday, Saturday, whatever, little 10 minute intervals where you can throw the massage in. And I thought that, and that makes the premier membership brings in extra revenue to the facility. And this is something that people want. And you were talking about like some of the vibration technology, which is the TheraBody, the Hyperize and stuff like that. Um, Dr. Mike, what do you see? Do you see that also being pulled into personal training strategies or other methodologies? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I was actually, uh, um, I met with a, a company um, on Friday and it's actually a high rise residence in downtown Phoenix uh, that just opened up back in February and they have a couple of other locations. It was essentially a residence that, that also includes the um, membership up within like, so you're a resident, you get access to the gym and facility, but you also can pay for a separate membership if you're not a resident. So they, it's on the ninth floor. They have, um, you know, hoist and like matrix machines. And, you know, they have a whole outside, um, you know, turf with, you know, landmine attachments, boxing stuff, you know, med balls, kettlebells and all that stuff. You know, and so, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to get them like to do and, and think about is basically what you just said is you need to be thinking about um, integrations of like, you know, recovery and all these things that come with it, because, yeah, you can make money both on the front end with the membership, with the residents and on the back end, if somebody just wants to sign up just for the membership and they don't even really live there. Right. So you can you can actually do both. And I think one of the um, feature, I mean, I, I could say trend, obviously, because, you know, trends come and go. But I think something that in the future that a lot of residents would are uh, not houses, but more like apartments and high rises. I think the trend is actually integrating a lot of these different components within that company. So they have a lot of different amenities because it draws more traction and more marketing and business, et cetera. So that's, that's something yeah. I think on the, on the business side that you, you will likely see more in the next three to five years. Oh yeah. Like um, hydro massage and uh, keep bringing this up. Sorry about that. But they also have a machine that's the cryotherapy machine. And I'm like, and I don't know if you guys have done it, but it's awesome. You jump in the, I went to one of those where you feel like you're in this, this cylinder and you've got to wear gloves and you've got to wear these things on your feet and, and you're wearing a towel and, you know, and you drop the towel and you're like freezing and everybody can see you from here and, you know, just hope to God you don't jump anytime soon. But it, it was like, and it, what is it? A hundred and how, how, what's the temperature of those? Brian, do you know? Too cold. Too cold. It's very, very cold. But the there it's kind of cool, but these cryotherapy machines, you know, you got to be, I'm, as a lawyer, I get nervous. I'm like, oh my God, what about the frostbite? If you forget, if somebody isn't watching you and they go in without the gloves or without the socks, but the neat thing about this machine is that you can put it on different body parts and it has a, a set time limit that you can only do it for a certain amount of time. Uh, Dr. Mike, I interrupted you. Please go ahead. No, it's okay. Um, I mean, that's something that I think about. I think about it, like, how is it, how does it work physiologically for one? And then does it even make sense physiologically? Because most people can't really survive in, a, in a extreme heat or even extreme cold, right? I mean, it's, it's, 
I don't know the mechanisms of how those work, but it's but you can kind of do the basic version of that if you don't want to purchase it. If you're not a business, you can just take like colder showers. Um, you know, so yeah, 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 that's interesting. So, what are the different variables of fatigue clients face, and how do you recover from them? Brian, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I think about this oftentimes in kind of different buckets or categories, right? You can think about the soft tissue, which might be, you know, your, your muscle predominantly, because that's where pe people are going to feel, right? They get the soreness there as an as a indicator of that. You can think of cardiovascular, where we're monitoring heart rate. Um, there's kind of the neural or immunological or hormonal that make it a little bit harder for us to get our arms wrapped around in the settings that we're in. And then also, as we talked about, kind of the psychological or, or mood state that we can get into. So those are the variables I kind of think about with and where I tend to lean more towards just because the ease of use is this subjective mood state and or heart rate slash heart rate variability. And Kelly, you were talking about mood state, some of the research that you had read. Can you share that with us? Yeah, Jack Raglan out of the University of Indiana did, I've got it on the screen in front of me, did a study with swimmers. It was it was over seven seasons. So it was a reasonably long study, 170 varsity swimmers. And, uh, oh no, sorry, four seasons, 170 swimmers. And they, they identified swimmers who showed signs of compromised performance in response to intensive training. And they, were conducted uh, a, a, um, a profile of mood state, a POM scale. And what they found was with a seven item subset of POMs items, they found that the people who were actually performing poorly were having mood disturbances, were depressed, depression being the number one, depression, feelings of uselessness, poor sleep, but depression being probably the number one. And it makes sense because cortisol suppresses your, um, cortisol suppresses your serotonin. And so endurance athletes show very high levels of cortisol exposure, much higher than other athletes, according to some studies. Um, that was according to, I can't even pronounce the names, but from 2012. <laughs> but from um, studies confirm that long-term cortisol exposure is significantly higher in endurance athletes. And so cortisol suppresses your serotonin. And so it would make sense that if you've got high cortisol that your your you would feel bad. You would have depression because your serotonin, your feel-good neurotransmitter would be suppressed. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's disrupted too. And and I think I I I brought this up was I get this is so this is pretty embarrassing, but I get really nervous before I present, whether it's at a conference or it's online. Like I was presenting for CanFit Pro and I was doing uh, my yoga chair, and I was like I was nervous because I had my PowerPoint on my portable computer, and then I had to run into the basement, and I was using my phone is my camera and I was using my computer for my sound and I'm like and then my earbuds were my microphone and I'm like 
something's not going to be charged. Something's going to hit broke. I, you know, my husband's going to turn on some video somewhere. The dog's going to start barking. So I, uh, I was getting, I was freaking out. I was getting myself so nervous that I couldn't focus. So I, I remembered, you know, cortisol, the buildup of cortisol reduces the quality of your performance. I picked up the dog. I went for a good, like, you know, 15, 20 minute walk with the dog at a nice clip, just a walk, got back. I was calmed down and I boom, launched into the presentation. And I think you know, I read so much about cortisol right now. And of course it does affect your sleep and um, obviously affects your performance. So I think that that of course affects your recovery and we need to focus on that. And you said you really guard your sleep, Kelly. And uh, I think that's really interesting. I was at dinner with my niece she, what is she in her early, early, early 30s? She's got this really cute boyfriend. She's adorable. And she's like, sleep. I have to get my own sleep. I sleep, you know, I kick him out. And I, he's in the guest room and I have done it. I'm like, well, that's not romantic, but I'm sure she's gotten better sleep. Who knows? I don't know. Um, so what variables do you measure with clients when programming recovery into their plans? How do you, how do you um, measure um, your clients, Dr. Mike, or what are some of the protocols you might recommend? Yeah, I think on a basic level, I mean, you have heart rate and you have HRV or heart rate variability. Um, you also have different other um, software, like, like I believe like the um, BioForce or like o Omega Wave, like it basically measures like HRV. You know, one of the things about HRV, because I remember talking about this a long time ago when I was talking about like overtraining stuff, is that one of the limitations with some of the software things not that the, not that they're not effective it's just that um it may tell you based upon it doesn't differentiate between oh you're ready to train today you're getting ready to go but oh you have a massive like emergency that happens you know you have to take care of this or it may say that you're ready to train but you've only had two meals today or you're you're you know low on water intake or whatever it is so mm. it doesn't take into consideration some of the more like subjective you know feelings if you would and this yeah. is kind of like so like if you're doing those whoop rings or you know everybody's using their watches um what's fascinating is there's a brand new trend where people they've been manufacturing okay they're they used to be fifteen hundred dollars now they're eight hundred dollars it's a shirt you can actually wear that measures um the body's re retention of water it mentioned it measures your hydration and they use these in professional athletes like i can't wait until they bring those shirts down to about 80 dollars so that we all you know at least some of us can afford to buy them or maybe eight you know where we can measure our hydration is there any do you like the whoop rings do you like different type of methods for telling hydration or the body's recovery uh capabilities uh yeah i do um but i also think like there's invasive measures and non-invasive stuff i mean to get more of the truly accurate measures like you have to do the more invasive stuff i mean you really want to know it's like trying to um, find out what your blood work is by you know putting your hands on a um you know device and you know letting it read out because most of those things even like for a handheld um, uh, bioimpedance measures, like for body composition, they're based off certain equations, like height, weight, 
um, you know, age, um, you know, basic demographics, if you're, you know, white or African American, like it doesn't like, there's not a lot of specific athlete equations, like 65 year old white female, who's also like a runner type of thing. Like, so keep in mind, like these devices are often based off equations and just going to give you a rough estimate. Yeah. Interesting. Brian, you, I see you kind of nodding there. What are your thoughts on that? I agree with absolutely everything Mike said. Now, uh, <laughs> listen, I think all all these things are are just meant to be tools. And so, as Mike had pointed out, I think there can be a lot of value in using them to help guide what you do or don't do. Uh, on the flip side, I think we've all had people also who can kind of overfocus on the numbers and mm -hmm. almost get too much anxiety about seeing a certain trend line. Um, and so, you got to put it all into perspective and and think about how. Um, as everyone's talked about, putting all the pieces together to look at it holistically rather than just the number by itself. Yeah, and it's interesting. We just got a question from, I'm going to pronounce this and I hope I do it correctly, Kaniak. May I ask about recovery techniques for smaller clubs, um, let's say boutique, you know, small boutique facilities or senior centers? Um, and she also asked, with your dog walking story, does pre-work imp improve post-work recovery? And I think that's really an interesting question. I think pre-work preps you for better performance and possibly better performance. You feel better about yourself. It helps with recovery. Um, but I do think it would help with recovery because I also think it would prevent injury. I think anytime pre-work and you can enter an activity and you feel comfortable and confident and ready to compete, whether it's a whether it is a hit class or a cycle class or a yoga class that you're getting ready to teach, um, you're going to get a better, smoother workout that's more consistent that may help with recovery. But do you have any suggestions, Brian? What you would do with small boutique facilities, or Kelly, do you have any suggestions for senior centers? Because I know you work with a lot of active agers. I can begin then. I think for the smaller boutiques, right, you're often going to be limited on, on space and budget. And this is where some of the lower cost devices can come in, right? We've talked about the use of foam rolling or stretching or some of the percussive devices. All those things can work out well. I think, you know, the, the nice thing about the foam rolling is that it's inexpensive. Most people are familiar with it. And it does a pretty good job at reducing, you know, delayed onset muscle soreness and perceptions of fatigue. Uh, but I tend to look at all kind of recovery devices as, as sitting on a buffet. And when you go to a buffet, you get to choose and pick the foods that you like. And I think part of the benefit in these tools is one's individual belief in them. So even though I might feel that the foam rolling ha can have a beneficial effect if if my client thinks that there's another device that works better, uh, then it's likely going to work better for them most of the time. Yeah, and I, I mean, like your buffet analogy because nobody wants to eat the same barbecued chicken every night, except if it's mine, of course. But you know, it, we we want we we want a buffet. We want options and choices. And Kelly, what do you think about with active agers or seniors? Um, with active agers. I think it depends on whether they're an athlete or not as to whether they really need to be engaging in active recovery or, or some kind of recovery strategy, you know, with, 
if, if they are an athlete and they are competing, then they have to be very strategic about their recovery because as you know, an, uh, an aging, a master's athlete needs to be a lot more strategic than a younger athlete about how much intensity and, and how much recovery they need. So it depends on the population. For the average person, you know, I was just at, at uh, Rancho La Puerta in, in Tecate, Mexico, teaching. And they have, I think the average age of the uh, guest there is 61. And so they have a lot of elderly people. And the most popular classes there are the stretch classes. They can't get enough of the stretching classes. They love it. More than yoga. Yoga is not as popular, but, but the stretch. So I think when you look at programming for more elderly populations, then incorporating things like stretching and, and, um, and foam rolling, if they can't get on the floor, then that can be a little bit more limiting. A chair can be a very good tool for chair yoga. You teach that. You could speak to that more than I can. But um, if they are, if, if you're working with an elderly client and they're an athlete, then you should be very, very serious about recovery. And whether it's an undulating periodization or, or a, a more traditional periodization scheme, recovery is absolutely key to performance as you get older. For an athlete. Yeah, and that's interesting. You bring up stretching and, and the fact that um, at Rancho La Porta, the stretching programs were far, are far more popular than the yoga programs. Um, there is a business, uh, I, and I recommend all of you guys who are on this to check it out. It's Stretch Lab, and it's really a set protocol. A lot of these businesses that offer programs, it's it, it's almost pre-choreographed and it's fascinating the way they they run these programs and they're huge they're they're not gonna some facilities not every of course but a lot of the facilities are knocking it out of the park because it's a system of stretching and then they do focus on pnf proprioneuromuscular facilitation with the stretching um and their clientele base tends to be either athletes or a bit older so, and I hear what you're saying, um, Kelly. I think Manuel Velasquez, who's one of the lead instructors at Ranch La Porta, has emphasized repeatedly about the stretch classes that are doing so well. Um, Dr. Mike, do you see that that stretching is getting to be more popular, or you know, you are a you know, you're a professor right now. Are you seeing that some of the students are migrating towards sessions like that, or or um, classes like that? Yeah, I think it's always going to be popular, especially with the, you know, the fitness, uh, you know, conventions with the uh, true sport nutrition or like strength and conditioning, more base conferences. It's there and it's, and it's, uh, it's well attended, but it's not massively popular in a sense. So it's just kind of, it's kind of interesting the uh, the dichotomy of, of the two types of, you know, areas we're stretching. But I think um, overall, most people don't, are not aware that there's multiple different types of stretching methods and techniques out there. You know, they're only kind of taught or heard of static or PNF. And, you know, now it's like you have more stretching that involves a lot more like ranges of motion and 
uh, you know, moving through different types of planes, you know, planes of motion versus just, you know, stretching out the hamstrings and, you know, you know, glutes or whatever, like the, you can actually integrate that more dynamically, especially when it comes to more of the like active dynamic warmups, you know, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been tons of research uh, over the last, you know, 10 years really that talks about even static stretching is a very poor choice for active warmups. Um, and in fact, it's been shown repeatedly to decrease force production and, you know, motor recruitments um, and, and decrease central nervous system, you know, drive, you know, further workout. So there's a time and place for certain ones to do like prior to and, and even post. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, what One thing I'm wondering also is how can you use uh, these different programs, not only to improve your cur- current client's performance and recovery, but also how to grow your clientele base. Do you see that um, you know, Brian, you're, you work with a lot of branding, right? With a lot of different companies. Um, how do you see them helping to grow their clientele base? Yeah. So, you know, if there's a brand out there and I mentioned, you know, they're a body and hyper ice before, I think a lot of consumers have heard about those brands. And so if you're carrying them in your facility, that can be a draw for people from a new customer perspective, but could also help from a retention perspective, much like how Hydro Massage is trying to do that value add to the membership. So I think the strong brands have the capacity to help um, facilities bring in customers or keep them, uh, but probably doesn't have the same effect on unrecognizable brand names. Right, and and when um, we got that question on what can small facilities do, you know, call the company, see if you can purchase maybe 10 units, resell them to your clients. And it's a way for you to make ancillary revenue and and to service the clients. That's a good idea. We did also get a question, any additional tips for instructors for recovery? We often teach a lot without big recovery periods in between teaching. Um, So Colleen asked that, I'm throwing it at you, Kelly. Yeah, I would love to answer that because as an instructor who teaches a lot, um, that I think that is your biggest challenge to make sure that you are actually getting adequate recovery because if you're teaching a lot of indoor cycling, you're probably teaching a lot of hit. You're probably teaching too much and too much hit. And so making sure that you are taking one I, you, know, you know, I take it from a perspective more of undulating periodization because I'm not training for a specific event at the moment. So um, I look at my, if I have a very high intensity day, the next day I'm going to go moderate or lower intensity depending on how hard or how high the intensity was the day before based on also what my morning heart rate is the next day. Um, if you don't have that choice, then try and program at least one day a week of active recovery. If you're doing a lot of cardiovascular training, if you're teaching a lot of indoor cycling, then definitely active recovery is a good strategy with not just with foam rolling, of course, with foam rolling, but also stretching and active recovery. Things like going for a walk. Um, you know, a nice, comfortable, brisk paced walk that's flat, not hilly, that doesn't put any stress on your muscles. Going for a bike ride 
um, either on a stationary bike or an easy flat ride on a bike, keeping your heart rate between, you know, lower than 120, before lower than your first ventilatory threshold, so that you can breathe comfortably in and out through your nose. Yeah, if I could just add to that real quick, I think I think the vast majority of people, she makes a pretty good point, the vast majority of people really um, undervalue and underestimate the value of the lower intensity sessions and thinking that they're not going to get anything from it, but they're actually gaining a higher level of adaptation, both acutely like and chronically. And I've said this statement for at least the last six or seven years. It doesn't matter how much you train. It only matters what you're able to recover from. You can train, you know, five days a week, but if you're not recovering, then what is that? How is that really helping you? You know? Yeah, I hear what you both are saying. I have to agree with you. And I have to say as an instructor, one of the best things you can do is if you're going to be teaching class, you don't need to demonstrate everything. Right. I, you know, I take this wonderful yoga class and the teacher actually said, if you want to be touched during class, um, cross your, we're in child pose, cross your hands over each other and I'll know that you feel comfortable being touched. Otherwise, please keep your hands apart during child during child pose, which is when your toes are touching, your knees are apart, and you're sitting back on your heels, reaching your arms forward. And I thought that was great. So what the instructor did was there were a few like guru students in the front that knew every pose, warrior two, reverse warrior, you know, side angle pose, triangle. I mean, they knew the poses. So if people need to follow someone, they were able to follow the person in the front row. But the instructor was able to walk around the room and, you know, do just very gentle um, physical cueing and touching the students, which, of course, you couldn't do during COVID, but we can do now um, if the clients want them. And it really, it's, you know, it was funny. I, I said to the instructor, I said, you are amazing. I love that you walk around and correct everybody and you visit, you touch every single student. She goes, I do it because I'm exhausted. This is like my third class of the day. And I thought, you know what? It's pretty brilliant. It's pretty brilliant. Um, we're just about out of time. I'm going to take the screen just for a second, you guys. I'm going to show you that about Midwest Mania we have coming up just this coming weekend, next weekend, September 30th through October 2nd. We also, just so you know, we sell all the recordings from the conference. So we have over 100 sessions that are being recorded. That's about 120 hours of education. So please take a look. Very exciting. What a great conference that's going to be. And also, just so you guys know who are on the East Coast, we have Boston Mania that is going to be in November, November ah, 11th through 13th. I hope that I'm correct in that date. Um, and your brochures should have been received today. How exciting is that? So, Dr. Mike, I want to thank you. Brian Buttendorf, I want to thank you. And Kelly Roberts, thank you, as always, for joining us. Carter, thank you for running this. I appreciate all of you being tuned in, and we will send you out a recording so you can check this out. Um, thank you, guys, and everybody have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.